Love a rugby league same game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley back for the Talk and Footy episode of the week, up to Talk and Footy number 12 for 2023, which has been great. The Supercoach episode went up yesterday, so hopefully everyone sunk their teeth into that one. But for this one, we are just talking footy, no Supercoach. And very special guest this week, we've got Jamie Soward, head coach of the women's NRLW side on board to talk NRLW and also at the Dragons as well, which, you know, fair bit of controversy at the moment, the last couple of weeks, Jamie, but I won't put you on the spot about that, mate. I appreciate you jumping on after you jumped on last year to talk NRLW. Yeah, no worries, mate. Thanks for having me. It's uh, getting to my my time of the year with the NRLW girls and obviously, um, yeah, as we spoke about off air, it's, it's a busy time for the men's program at the moment as well, so... Uh, lots happening and looking forward to talking about the rest a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, we'll get straight into the NRLW first because we're on the cusp of that season happening. You just had the season launch a couple of nights ago, I think it was, for the girls. And it's it's a really exciting season. Like, I think that we spoke about it last year, about some different things that you'd like to see happening. Obviously, we had the CBA uh, starting for not just the men's negotiation, but for the women's as well. Uh, and that's brought about a few really good things. But I, I think it's really encouraging that some of the stuff that we spoke about last year, we've actually seen happen now. So for the people that are listening that maybe haven't kept up ahead of the season launch of some of the changes and things before we even get into your Dragon squad, I think it's really exciting, first of all, that's gone from six to 10 teams. So obviously we've now got the Tigers the Cowboys, the Sharks and the Raiders all added in. Uh, so we've gone from six to 10, which is really big. But the other big increase as well is the salary cap's gone from 350K to 900,000, which I think is super important. But something that you brought up last year was when we were talking about the size of the season, and that's always been something that's sort of, I think for players, but also fans always been there as a bit of a sticking point that the seasons are quite short. Um, you brought up the specific fact that there isn't enough lead-in time, really. If you want a quality season, you want lead-in time. We've now got a nine-round season, plus the final series, plus obviously Origin, which we've just seen. But the big thing is that there's a seven-week lead-in preparation period that the girls get paid for. So that's a total of 20 weeks that the contracted women in the NRLW are getting paid now. Huge changes and growth for the game. Yeah, you're right. There's, there's still a long way to go, firstly. I think you look at, um, the only playing each other once. Um, yeah, some home teams got more home games than other than other teams. You know, what's that travel schedule look like for some of the other teams? Um, yeah, there's one thing. I think the salary cap going up is great. Um, six to ten. I, I, you know, I probably will wait and see whether that was a good decision or not. Um, in terms of everyone's spreading the, the talent around. Um, I know that a couple of teams loaded up and were able to 
to get a lot of the talent, which um, again, you know, we're probably still experiencing some of that, um, you know, ourselves at the Dragons. Um, we got a lot of, you know, quality players that I just don't think people had heard about, whereas some of the bigger names um, decided to team up together. So um, for me, I, I was excited at the fact that um, I got to recruit uh, girls that we'd been keeping an eye on and talked about in the previous seasons um, to come to our club. So there's a lot that has been happening. Uh, but all in all, it's a process and, and something to get behind and be passionate and enthusiastic about going forward so that eventually we can get to a proper full season of maybe 20 rounds, you know, where you play each other twice. And uh, But the main thing for me this year was, um, you know, get that pre-season longer. And uh, to be honest, it's probably still not long enough. You know, there's a lot of time you put in trials and, um, you know, you've got to have a camp. So you sort of write that week off. It's really probably only five weeks before you start to play. So, um, there's a lot there. There's, there's, there's some small steps being taken in the right direction, which has always been positive for the girls' game. And, yeah, I'm happy to be a part of that. Yeah, I think one of the other things too is like something that is – I think it's frustrating as a fan, but it must be super frustrating as a coach and even more frustrating as a player that prior to this season, a lot of people probably didn't realise, but the, the reason why there's such a change in rosters year on year and we're coming into the sixth year now of the NRLW – is because it's always only been allowed to have one-year contracts at a time. That's something that changed this year. You still had a lot of uh, roster change like we normally have. But do you think that, one, it's obviously a great step for the girls because we saw some girls, uh, like Millie Boyle, sign a five-year deal, as an example. You know, there's five-year, three-year, two-year deals that can be had now and so forth. That's never been able to happen before. So I guess the positive is that it provides a huge amount of security for, for the girls that are obviously putting a lot on the line to play in the NRLW. But it also hopefully should provide a little bit more roster stability and club stability as well. And you probably, I imagine, would see that as a coach as well as a, as a bit of a positive. Yeah, you're right. I think that the, the fact that we've got girls signing five-year deals is certainly um, a huge step in the right direction in terms of their um, security going forward. Uh, we probably were a little bit different at the Dragons where you know a lot of girls, um, for one reason or another, decided to take a a shorter term deal, whether it be one year or uh, I think there's maybe four or five girls that got two years and then there's probably another four or five that have got um, clauses and options and stuff like that, which is all new to the women's game. So uh, for us, you know, myself and Steve, when we were building our roster, um, the most important thing for us was getting girls that wanted to be at the club. Uh, and then off the back of that, you know, you want girls to have security, but you want girls to be able to have flexibility as well in um, yeah, my future is still up in the air at the moment about um, yeah what where I want to go and take my um, yeah future in terms of coaching and, and right now it's it's very passionate about the women's space and you know I'm I'm confident um, that we're going to be able to hopefully get something done and I think that'll provide a lot more stability within our program and um, hopefully some of the girls in the Dragons at the moment but for everyone else it was yeah some girls wanted longer deals some girls wanted shorter deals. Um, I think that we saw an instance with uh, you know, a player from Parramatta who wanted to get out of a two-year deal. So, you know, that's going to be the murky part as well as, you know, what happens if a club falls out with a player? What does that look like? We're seeing at certain clubs now, including my own, that, you know, these things all happen really, really quickly. So it's, it's getting professional off the field quicker than what it is on the field in terms of... Um, 
you know, longer seasons and all that kind of stuff. We're seeing managers come in and you're forever talking to managers and stuff like that. So it's definitely been a, a long process and I think there's been a lot of steps taken forward. But as as a coach, I'd be lying if I'd say I'm not relieved now to take a breath and just concentrate on the footy. Oh, for sure. And I'm sure that the girls are, are like that as well. And you're seeing some great stuff too. Like Brigginshaw over at Brisbane is going to be a, a one-club player that's going to play for a lot of years in the NRLW and retire at probably 36, 37 years old as a Bronco, just signing a three-year deal this off-season. You know, that's that's great news stories. But I, I really think for fans, it's it's very hard, especially if you're, you know, supporting the NRL for so many years and you want to get into the NRLW. It's very hard if the roster's have such a big overhaul every year. Like you want to see those one club players. You want to see a more limited roster turnover. So you're following, you know, your club and your team and everything. And that's the way it is with sport in general, right? It's really hard if the team just keeps turning over a roster every single year. Yeah, I think I think the thing with that this year is there was 240 free agents. That's huge. Never before seen. I mean, it'd be, it'd be like... The NRL saying next year, okay, guys, everyone starts from scratch. You're all off contract. And everyone clamoring and doing numbers and talking. And, you know, so in a way, like it was exciting for the girls. And, and you know, Ali's obviously been, you know, the pillar of, of leading that and a senior player within our game. And, you know, I'm very proud to say that I'm friends with Ali, but, you know, on the other side of it, it was like, well, fans need to understand that this has never happened before, nor never happened again, where everyone was a free agent. So in terms of discussions and conversations, you're not just talking, there might be one club that might be interested in a girl. There's four new clubs who have to get four new rosters, who have to get four potential marquee players, maybe five. Um, and then there's other clubs who are trying to retain them. So there might be a player agent having conversations with six clubs. Like for that clamouring for those top, you know, echelon uh, players within our game because that's where it is at the moment. So that that doesn't happen in the NRL. Mm. Yeah, there might be one player or a small free agent class, um, but those deals are always in behind the scenes. This was like no CBA, no timeline on when the CBA is coming. Everyone's talking, everyone's whispering. Okay, go go and sign as many players as you can. So. Um, it was a one-of-a-kind thing. So what I'd say to fans is, um, for, especially for our squad, you know, don't be ignorant in the fact that, you know, we, we haven't got um, a group of girls that we just had to end up with. We went out and recruited meticulously for girls that wanted to be at our club. And, and I know, you know, talking to other coaches and stuff, it was really, really hard to get that. So the one-club players, whilst fans like it, I don't think they understand the fact that, you know, Kezi Apps is a senior player in our game. She had offers from multiple clubs, mm. at, you know, at an older age, whereas if it was the NRL, it might only be one other club. So I think it's a bit tricky to explain to fans how, how hard this process was for the girls to be listening to five, six offers, five, six coaches, um, you know, especially if you're one of those marquee girls, and then also weighing up, you know, where... I still think there'll be a lot of player movement in the next couple of years in the women's side versus what the men's fans are used to. Yeah, and it is really hard because so many different things in the NRLW Premiership are a first. And that's you know, every single year there's a new first, which hasn't been part of the competition 
part of what the players have had to deal with before and part of what the coaching staff has had to deal with before with clubs as well. And you sort of alluded to it a little bit when we first started talking. There's always a little bit of caution that you need to take as well, right? Because one of the other things from just a you know salary cap point of view is you need to now manage a salary cap a lot differently because you've got all this extra money to spend. But like you said, it's been a very competitive market where you've got four extra rosters to fill, which is great because you've got all these new jobs available where girls that were probably good enough to break into an NRLW side before couldn't fit into the six teams that were there. So we should see a, a bit more talent unearthed. But at the same time, we've got to be really careful, don't we? Because when it's going up almost three times what the salary cap was and there's this feeding frenzy on the open market, you don't want people to get overpaid and then, you know, rosters to get ruined and things to get ruined down the track because we're giving away five-year deals or we're we're paying too much. You see that in the men's game already, but that's already established, right? So it can kind of take it because it's pretty robust rules and salary cap and management and everything like that. Whereas in the women's game, like you said, we haven't seen it before. So certainly there needs to be some caution there and some good management. And and certainly like I, I like the 10 teams, I wouldn't like us to to get to 12 teams in a couple of years or something like that. You know, we really yeah. need to solidify what we've got. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you're right. And But the, the plan is, I think, 2025 or 27, there'll be two more teams. Um, and in taking that approach, uh, you know, obviously handling the salary cap. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it was, I, I was cautious of that, that regardless of, um yeah, it's not, I mean, it's, I'm the head of the program. It's not my program, but, you know, I speak as such. But, you know, I just didn't want our program to be um, hamstrung by multiple long-term deals um, of, you know, overpaid or whatever. So we were cautious in that fact. So, um, you know, our principles around, okay, we wanted to get Racine, um, but we didn't want her to feel like it had to be long-term or nothing. So we left that to her and... Um, yeah, we've had ongoing discussions already about extending her and a number of players. Um, again, it's it's a nice place to be in um, as a coach when, you know, the girls are enjoying their preseason and, and we can get some of those conversations underway. Plus, we've got a great nursery of junior girls down at the Illawarra and, and also in our St George districts of really, really good people involved. Um, that want to bring that junior nursery through. So it was important for us to make sure that we locked them up. And we lost a few um, and we probably went a a different direction on a couple. But, you know, our next crop coming through and our development girls and our 17s to 19 girls, we had an eye on that in the future as well. So, you know, rather than lock in a heap of uh, people to long-term deals and not have an eye to a young Casey Ray, who's in our NRLW squad next year at 18, a young half, you know, we wanted to make sure that she was coming through and start to build and sustain that ecosystem through with that salary cap versus, um, you know, locking ourselves into a, a, a deal, trying to get everything now, but not having an eye on the future as well. And that's the tricky part. Uh, I felt like we got a really, really good competitive young roster with experience in key positions in Racine and also um, in Tyler. So that was, again, that's all new to me. Like managing, as a player, you get out of bed, you're told what to wear, you're told when you're going to eat and and what time the game is. As a coach, you're telling players what to do. And and as a recruitment officer, I guess, um, and selling yourself like you're, you're almost 
um, stupid if you don't think two, three years ahead about what this team could potentially look like. Um, does this person want to play in a couple of years? Do that. And the other thing is, you know, do some of these older girls want to have families and stuff like that? So you're sort of starting to manage all of that kind of stuff. Whereas the boys, it's easy. You just get up and <laughs> put your boots on and go play. So <laughs> um, I, I, I look, there's a part of me that loves the grind of it, but there's, like I said before, like, I think you can hear it in my voice. Like there's, there's a big, deep breath of, thank God the footy's here. I can start to enjoy now because pre-season's gruelling for the yep. players, for the coaches, um, for the admin staff because you're doing contracts and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think it, it, we took the right approach. Uh, we got the players that we wanted and now we're, we're getting ready to play. Well, the other really exciting thing I think that this season has for the NRLW too is uh, the coverage that it's going to get. So you're going to be able to see every game between Nine and, and KO, um, Fox Sports, and also we're going to start to see some primetime games. So round one, mm. we've got the Brisbane Broncos versus Sydney Roosters at 7.45pm on a Saturday. That hasn't happened before. So, you know, that's really exciting for the women's game as well that they're starting to get that type of coverage. Uh, and that should really help too. I mean, obviously it's going to help with viewership, with fans coming on board, but exposure for the competition as well. And, and I'm sure that the girls are absolutely chuffed that they've got that sort of uh, broadcasting for this season coming up as well. Yeah, it just it baffles me. Like, it's the best, you know, football code in Australia in terms of product on the field. And, you know, we get excited that it's on TV. Like, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's of course, it should be on TV in prime time. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I know you, I know you love American sports and stuff as well, and like you can see the American sports. In, yeah, I know exactly. Like you see the little league with eight year olds on ESPN and stuff in America, and all that. You know, the, the college volleyball and all these other stuff broadcast. And we've got one of our top tier competitions that has been struggling to get broadcasting. So I know exactly what you mean. I think it is a very Australian thing compared to some of the other countries and how they broadcast their sports. Yeah, you're right. I just yeah, I'm like this is what they deserve. So when that stuff, like when people go, oh, it's on TV, I'm like, no shit, it should be on TV. <laughs> yeah, these girls, I see what these girls go through. I know what I put them through in terms of my program and and the effort and stuff that all goes into getting ready every day to train and, and after a full day's work. So, yeah, that reward's great. The, the next part is, yeah, what's the vision for that? How do we start to generate yeah, some more income for them so that the salaries go up, but also the product becomes sustainable and starts to run by itself and not have to worry about linking in with the men's or, you know what I mean? Like there's so many ideas and passionate people out there, but yeah, we just, we sometimes I think we work against each other in terms of that and other times, yeah, we get excited about it being on TV, but for me, it was a no brainer. It should always be on TV. Yeah, I mean, it, the commercial side of things, it opens up so many other opportunities. And I obviously agree with you that, of course, it should be on TV and they should be good. But getting more exposure and more coverage should bring more revenue and more, you know, you've got more marketability, obviously, as far as advertising, sponsorship partnerships, even third-party agreements and stuff like that that could come in down the track a lot more. There's a lot of that that you're going to get with that exposure. You, it, unless it's really seen and shown as much as what it should be, which it's starting to get to the point now where we're going to start to see that more, you're not going to be able to generate that type of revenue. Um, so I think that's pretty exciting as well. But 
Look, let's talk about your Dragon squad specifically. I know you've touched on it a little bit, but very, very difficult, obviously, being an NRLW coach with the, the roster turnover that we've spoken about. You've obviously lost Emma Tonegato, who was going over to the Sharks now, which is a huge one, former Dally M winner. Some other experienced players as well. Kezi Yaps over to the Tigers. You've got a lot of gains as well. You've mentioned Racine McGregor, who's come across from my Roosters, which I was a bit upset about that she's left. But, you know, you've got a huge amount of young talent, like you said, that you've got coming in. Obviously, you're confident with the young talent that you're coming through. Can you give us a little bit of an insight as to, you know, the roster changes, you know, the squad that you've put together and what you see in them for the 2023 season? Yeah, I think the first thing was, you know, we were competitive in terms of our offers for all the girls that, and I'm talking about the Jill Rouge girls that decided to take up contracts elsewhere. Um, not every situation was the same. Uh, yeah, there was conversations around where we wanted to play certain players and how we were going to energise our roster because, you know, last year was, the first half of last year was really successful for us and, I felt like we took a step back, so we needed to regenerate some of that roster and get younger and um, get some more of that, again, our local juniors in there. So um, the main piece for us was, okay, how do we upgrade um, in terms of, you know, our spine? I think our spine needed to get better and, and Racine's been a massive part of that. So, you know, when I started negotiations with Racine, it was more about, um, you know, Let's let's go into a partnership of what we want to try and build, and then the challenge on top of that is, you know, as a coach, you've got to sell yourself. You know, how can you make the Dalian three-time premiership winner player better? <laughs> so, yeah, that was a huge coup for us, and and that's why she's going to be our captain in 2023. The fact that, you know, I came away from that first conversation, and you know, I said to my wife, I've got to do whatever I can to get Ray to the club, and. Um, she brings so much experience and, and that killer mentality, which I probably felt like we didn't have last year um, within our squad. Um, you know, some of the other girls, again, for, for different situations, um, decided to take up other contracts, whether, whether it be a different experience, more money, they didn't like the coach. Like there's a lot that probably went into those decisions. Um, they, they probably wanted, some of them wanted to play with their friends, I have no doubt. Uh, because it is still a very friendly environment from within. But, yeah, the, the other part was, like, okay, you know, what what do we need to be successful long-term and, and, and starting this year is we've got our centrepiece in Ray. Um, okay, we need a 5-8 to pair with her. And, you know, when, I mean, there's been a lot made about the people that left, but I think that's arrogant from the people that don't know the people we've got in. You know, Tyler Nathan Long's a gold medalist at the Olympics, uh, seven-time you know, World Series team member on the sevens, all time, second all-time leading point scorer in sevens history, all-time leading point scorer for New Zealand. Like, I didn't I didn't just get you know, a heap of traffic cones and, and put them in Dragons jumpers. I went out and uh, recruited you know, to the people that we wanted at the club and getting Tyler and Ray in the halves, I think, has the potential to go down as one of the best halves pairings in history. Um, of NRLW in terms of star power. Um, you put in, you know, some experience around the number nine role and Renee Target, uh, who's, you know, a, a Jamie Sauer player, as you, as you will. Um, effort, professional, understands what it takes to to get to that level. And, and that's why, 
you know, she came off the bench in, in the grand final because I trust her and, and she's going to get the job done. So um, you sprinkle in, you know, Alexis to an EA, under-18s player of the year, um, Tasha Gale player of the year, Ella Costa, you know, played Opens Waratahs at the age of 16. Um, is, you know, there's, there's a lot of – I could go through everyone. They've all been recruited for a reason. But, you know, I just get pissed off at the fact that people think that um, because of the 10 names or 12 names that they know um, because they're casual fans – that they just think, well, the Dragons are going to be shit. Like, that really pisses me off because, you know, these girls deserve a chance to go out there and compete. And, and it's going to be hard. You know, we, we realise we're, we're super young, but, you know, like a Maddie Weatherall coming back from, she was the best player in her, in, in her age group a couple of years ago. She's had a baby. She's made a, a decision to come back and play for the Red V. You know, that's, that's a win for us. Before we even kick a ball, the fact that we've got a young mother wanting to come back to our club and participate for the Red V at such a young age is a huge win for the club. Um, yeah, Roxy murdoch Masilla played for her country at the World Cup, yeah, moves down with Ben and picks up the phone and says, I want to play rugby league. Yeah, she's a mum. You know, Carla Cowan's a mum. Well, we've got four mums in our team. Um which for me is re- remarkable. These are, I know what it takes to be a parent and I know what it takes to do your job. And then on top of that, these girls are still playing footy. Like I am so excited about um, our chances this year, the style we want to play. And, and we're going to have some ground pains like everyone. I think, you know, to come out and say we're definitely going to win it is stupid, but, you know, we're going to be super competitive and I'm confident in, in the girls that we've got um, with people go and do their research and actually watch them, um, that they're going to be pleasantly surprised in, in what we've been able to um, achieve in such a short time um, with girls that want to be at the club. That's the main thing. Everyone can talk about the losses, um, but the, the thing that pisses me off um, is that no one's respecting the girls that made decisions to stay at the club or to come to the club and reward that, you know, Tegan Berry. Would have been very easy for Tegan to slot into any other team. Um, challenged herself, you know, wrote down some personal goals about where she sees her career, what she wants to get out of her career, and it's made the transition to fullback. And I have no doubt it's going to be one of the best fullbacks in the world very, very shortly in a stacked class. So um, I guess that's a bit of, you know, I've got my back up a little bit about the disrespect that we're receiving um, because of the casual NRLW fans that don't realise there's more players out there than than the top players. Well, I mean, you're always, you know, very competitive on the field, Jamie. So it's no surprise that you're still super competitive finishing up your playing career and being a coach. And um, part of that's needed, isn't it? Like you've got the passion for it. And that's probably why the Dragons have been so successful under your reign as coach. So I don't blame you for that. I think that a lot of it is going to dissipate year on year now. Um, with the coverage and I guess some more exposure and stuff like that as well. It's it's great that you mentioned the mums that you got in your team because I think that's that's gonna that's really important for especially you mentioned some of the younger girls that you've got coming through and stuff that you've got high hopes for. It's important to have mums and some older ones there and some more experience there just to help out with that as well, isn't it? I'm sure it makes your job a little bit easier with that as well too. Yeah, it does. I mean, uh, Maddie Witherall's a mum. She's got a ten month old. Carlin Cowan's got a 10-month-old, uh, Ray and Jamie Bright. Uh, they you know, look after a nine-year-old 
Uh, Roxy Murdoch, masilla has got a nine-year-old. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of um, people there that are really, really good people. And, and like I said, you know, we um, automatically, you know, if you're a young mum and you've missed the start of an NRLW, um, I guess, uh, season at NRL 23, NRLW 23, I beg your pardon, you know, you're looking at clubs that can look after you. You know, we're showing, I feel like we're leading the way in terms of, um, I know Corbin Baxter's, you know, had a, a baby as well, so the Roosters are doing it. But, it, you know, you don't have to sit out a season. There's programs and people out there that know how to look after you. So having mums in our clubs are very important um, and, and proud thing that I, I love that we're doing. Oh, it's great. And it, it is it does show the difference uh, in how you need to navigate and manage a NRLW team versus a men's team too. It throws up a whole heap of different types of um, makeups of your team and everything else too. But look, finishing off on NRLW, who do you think are the top teams to beat now that you've had a chance to look at the rosters and everything and we're getting closer to kick off? Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to anyone else, but I don't think like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm all in Dragons. I don't. Yeah, there's some fantastic players out there and some fantastic rosters, but I can't bring myself to to say anyone else. I just I've always been like that. I should have asked the question a bit better. Which team are the Dragons going to be yeah. in the NRLW <laughs> Grand Final at the end of the season, Jamie? <laughs> it's yeah, it's easy to to get sidetracked and try and keep everyone happy. And yeah, I'm mates with Scott Prince, and yeah, you know, I've played with Dean. Um, you know, I know Ronald, I know Bortho, and I know Brett. I played against Brett. And, you know, I've coached against John Strange in a grand final, so I know how competitive these guys are, and I just it just doesn't sit right with me. And, it's, again, it's no disrespect. I'm sure that someone will get their um, knickers in a knot about it, but I just, I just want to focus on what we're doing and how I'm going to get these, you know, 24 girls plus our – academy girls, you know, in, in shape and ready to, to be competitive and, and hopefully get get to where we need to go. No, well, that's that's fair enough, mate, and I appreciate that. And uh, I'll I'll uh, answer my roosters versus your dragons and we can both be happy with that one. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good one too because, you know, Racine McGregor versus her, her former team that she left and, you know, I'm sure there'll be a... It's not Racine McGregor versus her former team, mate. It's Dragons v whoever. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we do need to move on to a couple of other topics. Uh, before we do, I do need to mention the great partner of the NRL All-Stars podcast in Picklebet. Picklebet.com, you heard the ad at the beginning of the podcast. You can jump on there now. They've got same-game multis up and running that are fantastic, but... They've also got some great odds and things on there. We've got the NRL All-Star Special this week, and I'm going to have to apologise to Jamie. It was just bad timing for you to jump on, but the special is for the Sharkies to win 13+, plus and for Katawa and Mulatalo to score a try each. You can get that on there. Jamie, I'm sorry, mate. I already had that one all plugged in before you even came on, mm. but you can get great specials on Picklebet, and you can also jump on there and create an account today using the promo code ALLSTARS, all one word, or you'll see it listed as an affiliate code. Throw in ALLSTARS, all one word. I know that you're one of our listeners and I'll take great care of you. But, Jamie, we do need to talk briefly about Round 17 and the couple of uh, probably big points and talking points of that round. Uh, I don't really want to put it on you too much, but the Warriors versus the Dragons was the first game of the round, and I... I know you don't want to probably talk about it too much. I, I won't burn you on it. But 25 minutes in, your Dragons were actually winning that one. 
it was a bit of a disappointing second half. The left-hand edge defence really gave up most of the Warriors' points in that second half as well. I'm sure that you're galvanised, though. I'm sure that the boys are all ready for a big round this week to bounce back and everything. But it was a disappointing effort last week on the scoreboard, and I'm sure you're wanting to bounce back on that one. But it was a big talking point last week, obviously, especially especially at Wynn Stadium where the Warriors have got a poor record. But in saying that, you know, the Warriors have also earned themselves the right to be called one of the top premiership teams at the moment with how they've played too. So they're a tough matchup. Yeah, they are. I think the first first thing is, you know, that wasn't to our standards in terms of our competitiveness or effort in and around some of the stuff that we value within the um, NRL side at the moment. And, and that's me included. You know, we're all in that together. So I think too often we can look at, um, yeah, the, the Dragons were leading, you know, and, and what happened versus, you know, there was some stuff in that first 25 minutes that compromised that, that comes back and bites you late in the game. So, um, yeah, we had a couple of changes there. Obviously, Moses gets knocked out. But, yeah, we just weren't good enough. We didn't compete hard enough. I think that, you know, this week we're all embarrassed about some of the competitive stuff that we had. And, yeah, we need to be better tonight because it's a hostile environment against the Sharks. Um, and then they're searching for what their identity is in terms of how they're going to plan an assault. You know, they've got their own knockers um, within that. So, you know, the Warriors right now are really resilient. Uh, Andrew Webster's got them going fantastically. Sean Johnson's playing great both sides of the ball and they're all, you know, singing to the same tune. So, uh, look, we weren't good enough. We, we can't hide behind the fact that we weren't good enough and uh, come out with excuses. We're not built like that. Um, it has been a busy, you know, bumpy ride at certain stages throughout this year. But, you know, one thing I know is that with Ryan Carr at the helm and, you know, we've sorted out the future of, of the club with Shane Flanagan coming, there's a lot of good people that are working there tirelessly, uh, including the players, to, to try and get us away from this uh, wooden spoon, but also just to get back to what we know in our DNA. And, um, yeah, that's, that's not going to go away with us losing. The only way we can yeah, quiet everyone up or shut everyone up is by winning games. And that's across anywhere in life. Yep. You know, <laughs> you want to get someone off your back at work or you, you need to win and you need to have that killer mentality. And it do, it looks differently for, for people at certain times. But right now we need to just find a way to win. And, you know, that'll give us a little bit more oxygen and, and, and some energy and stuff like that. So um, the boys prepared great this week. Again, their preparation is is um, exceptional um, each week and their dedication to their craft is good. We just need to put it on the field. Yep. Well, hopefully it's a good show at points bet today because, I mean, look, it's the local derby as well. So, I mean, you're going to have plenty of Dragons fans there at Shark Park cheering you on as well. So, no doubt they'll be keen to bounce back. The other big scoreline was that, that next game, which was a bit of an odd one. The Eels putting on 48 points against the Dolphins, winning 48 to 20. But Eels had 42 points in the first half, 42-0. I, I couldn't believe what I was watching because it was just try after try. And guys like Moses and Gutherson, they were just dominating and just it, it just seemed like, well, I feel a bit bad for the Dolphins in the second half. And certainly the last month especially, I think that the the fairy tale start to the season is a real distant memory for them now. It's It started to get to the point where maybe they're looking like the side that I think a lot of people kind of picked them to be. And I was, I've even made the comment the last couple of weeks that, look, even if they you know, do struggle for this back end, they've still done themselves pretty proud as a, as a new club that's already won seven games. They've already done better than what a lot of people thought. 
But watching that first half, you just sort of thought, geez, you know, hopefully they can get back up. They certainly did. They won the second half 20 points to six. And I think that's one of the things, even though they're a side that's been giving up a lot of points and 48 to 20 is a bad loss for them, especially at home. They do seem to have this probably Wayne Bennett instilled resilience where a lot of other sides that are down 42 nil in the NRL aren't going to have that type of second half that the Dolphins had. So it was a bit of a funny one to talk about, wasn't it? Because they got absolutely demolished in the first half, but the second half was a real credit to them in how they bounced back in the same game. Yeah, no way Bennett coach side's going to give up. I think you look at, again, he's building a roster that's going to be sustainable and, and get quality players you know, for the next 10 years. If they'd gone out and got every target that they wanted and it didn't go their way, like their values and their standards are still building this year and they have fallen away a little bit. Uh, on the other side, I felt like Parramatta, that was just their kind of game. Yeah, that's that's why Parramatta... Yeah, uh, on their day, they can win it. Yeah, but the second half says why well, they can't. <laughs> you know, they, they 48, 42 nil. Mm. Yeah, in those games, my experience is whatever grade, you come out and stick to your processes for 15 minutes, it'll end up being 60 to four maybe. Um, but they didn't and they lost the second half, you know, 20 to six. So I think Brad Arthur would have been filthy about the second half, to be honest. Yeah, he would have been. It has started to smell like the last month that Parramatta is coming back into the, the forefront of the, the top eight. Obviously, they started off the season well outside the eight, but the former guys like Moses and Gutherson and some of the other more you know unheralded players coming this year, like Hopgood had an absolute blinder again. I, I think that the, the Eels have well positioned themselves to storm into the eight and go on a bit of a run. I'm sure other teams haven't been treating the Eels like you know a non-top eight side. I think that they're pretty formidable. Well, they were always going to make it. You know, they were always going to make it with Moses and Gutherson. And, um, you know, their, their question mark was around their nine and feel like although Hodgson's such a quality player, did he suit their style? It was a weird signing. I thought so, it was a strange signing. He's a, he's a total opposite to Reid Marnie. Mm. Yeah, Reid can pass exceptional, probably the best passer, I'd say, from dummy half in the comp. Um, and make his tackles, whereas Josh is sort of a bit more game manager, you know, needs to, and, and don't forget, has had a couple of serious injuries. So, um, but in saying that, I felt like they got the nines right. Maybe this is the future, you know, for, for them is playing two sort of smaller dynamic nines and trying to get that, what Marnie used to give them. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I was always a bit questionable on the style that Hodgson would play because obviously Canberra, with the style that they played, they relied on his playmaking and he could pick the ball up and have a bit more of a look and stuff. Whereas, you know, this Parramatta Eel side, they've got two very dominant, very talented halves in Brown and, and Moses and also another guy that likes to play with the ball a bit in Gutherson where they kind of need a bit faster service and they've, they've got a forward pack that plays a little bit different to Canberra too. So... It's going to be interesting. It has given an opportunity to young hands, who I thought was pretty good on the weekend as well. Um, another side that is kind of storming back into the top eight contention is the North Queensland Cowboys. They've been sitting at the bottom of the ladder quite a bit for this season, but they've been getting some wins together now, and they won 31-6 to against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And obviously, Latrell Mitchell is out. It's a, it's a big loss for the Rabbits, but I think most of us saw it at a core stadium away from Townsville. South were going to win this game. And they really struggled to score points, South Sydney. I was really surprised. I thought Cody Walker looked very frustrated in this game. Um, and you know, 
probably yourself as being a lead half in the NRL, I, I think that he was trying to do everything and just not enough of it was coming off. And by and large, the Cowboys are in pretty good form. And I have to say, like, I, I feel like that I talk about him too much, but I've just been so impressed with Scott Drinkwater the last month or so of footy. He has just been absolutely carrying the Cowboys attack and coming up with, I think, three tries since a game or something the last five or six weeks he's averaging. He's just been outstanding. And he was again on the weekend. Yeah, he was. And, and Souths are just going through this origin period. I think that Luttrell being injured, um, yeah, they sit on the bottom half of the eight. They're eighth at the moment. So they need to get some wins. I, I think tomorrow night they, they'll get beat by the Warriors as well. So that puts a little bit of a gap in it. And uh, But there's not much um, chasing in, t- in terms of everyone else. You know, North Queensland are there. I think that South relies so much on Cook and Murray and, and Walker and Latrell that when you ask some of the other guys to maybe get you one or two, and that and that's what happens when you're a championship side. Uh, you go through these periods where your star players play to their level, but they they're just not above it, and then you need everyone else to get you one, um, and they probably haven't had that yet. So um, I feel like once the trail gets back, the energy, but that. It, yeah, you don't want to have to win four out of your last six. So they're going to have to arrest that really, really quickly and and manage to, to get back in the winner's circle. I think the Cowboys, you're right. Scott Drinkwater's been fantastic. Um, the problem for them they might run into is this for and against. Uh, you know, they've, they've let some games slide. This is a game this weekend against the Tigers that they should win comfortably. Uh, but it also could be a game that could be 18 all with a minute to go. Yeah, that's where the, the Cowboys are. I think at the moment, yes, they've had some good wins over the last month and Drinkwater's been on fire, but do they put the foot down or do they play down to the level of the Tigers this weekend? Yeah, it's a bit of a danger game for them, but is it home? Uh, And the other good thing that I like for them, I think it's a bit unheralded that their forward pack was probably needing a couple of more guys in there. And Nanai came back a few weeks back and he's come back really good. And the other thing is that Tom Malolo came back for a game and then had last week off. He should be back again this week. His first game back, I was so surprised at how good he was and how good he was getting them forward. And it was probably the best game I've seen him play in a couple of years. So, I mean, that's going to be a big addition to them this week as well and really going to help those playmakers with that foundation that he can help them build in the middle. Um, the other game, now, I, I did put you through a little bit of a quick brief Dragons review. So I'd be remiss if I tried to glaze over the fact that my Roosters lost to the Raiders this last weekend. <laughs> that was a tough one to swallow. I'm just, I'm disappointed at the attack, Jamie. So I'm really interested in your opinion because we, we just can't score points. And it happened again where in the first half, we just couldn't get any points on the board. We obviously came home pretty strong. Um, we got that, that try right on half time, which was Joseph Manu coming through for us. But really for most of the first half, we just couldn't get any points again. And that's been a continuous factor for us. Um, One of the things that I do say to defend the Roosters a little bit is I think people are understating how many injuries that they've been getting or just glossing over it. We've lost Angus Crichton on the weekend in that game for four to six weeks. So Tilly Tupanua is gone for the season now. And I'm just not seeing a way out with the amount of players that we keep having on the sidelines at the moment. And I think that's a really big factor. Uh, I am looking forward to Sam Walker coming back. And I do look at games like this and think, Sandon Smith's done himself very proud, only a few games in first grade and playing the way that he has. But Sam Walker coming straight into that side, I think is going to help the attack immensely. And I think on the weekend, it might have even been the difference between winning and losing versus the Raiders. But how do you kind of see their struggles on the weekend and where they're at at the moment? Yeah, I think the one thing with the Roosters is you have forgotten 
Yeah, not that their fans haven't, but you know, it is an aging roster in terms of some of the players through the middle. You have lost the likes of um, you know, Isaac Liu, who's done pretty well for the Titans. Um, so you see why Takiaho has been, you know, one of those staple guys that you can just rely on to to get you forward. Um, you know, you, you're asking more of Egan Butcher, who's come from the bench now. He's a starter. Nat Butcher used to be, you know, sort of that starter every now and then. So you are Satili Tupanua's a loss, you know, Angus Crichton. So they have had some injuries through there. I think the one thing that I look for in the halves is um, who's who's in control of the team. You know, is it is it Luke Keary or is it James Tedesco? Because the other part. The other part that comes with that is where's Joey Manu play? You know, is he a six? Is he a one? Like, does James Tedesco try and go to six you know, at the end of the year? Like, we just – there's never, ever a set theory on what their spine is. So, you know, on the weekend, Joey Manu scores two tries but doesn't get the ball because Sandon Smith's a young halfback. And I had the same problem when I played with Gaz. You know, you – you throw him the ball when he doesn't need it and when he wants it, you can't get him the ball or, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. So um, that is, it's a it's a working process. I think, I mean, does does the Walker-Smith, Sam and Smith combination get a go at the back end of the year? Probably depends where the team's at, I guess. I mean, if they're not going to make the eight, then that's something that I could see happening and Kiri getting some rest games and stuff. I mean, you raise a really good point, though. Like, I, oh, I, I thought... I thought Tedesco maybe to centre or wing back into the year, still be the captain. Minicello did it in 14. Mm. Manu to fullback, Sand and Smith, Walker and Turpin. Smith is the man. I, I haven't been a Roosters fan that subscribed to the theory that you moved to Desco um, because one of the things that I don't like is I, I've always seen Tedesco as a guy that that plays off the structure that the Roosters halves provide. And I'm just not seeing that enough and probably for a lot of reasons, but like really simple plays like the in and out play in the middle of the ruck and stuff. You just don't see him doing it. And that's a bread and butter for Tedesco and something that he often carves up. Even the, even the block plays where Tedesco gets it on a sweep and has a bit of time and space. He doesn't even get it there very often, you know, and I don't want to, admonish all of Tedesco's responsibility and stuff, but I think that he's visibly frustrated a lot of the time too, because he's just not getting the ball in the sort of structures that he's been successful in in the past. Yeah, but the, the other part of that, Mark, is what happened? You, you watch more and more tape on the top teams. Mm. Like if I'm playing the Roosters this week and it's NRLW, right, I'll probably watch three times as much as what I'd watch you know, in terms of the preparation, you know, to get ready than maybe some of the other teams who you might be able to pick up their style a bit quicker. But they've got so many X-Factor players and you can't just prepare for their style because of Tedesco, because of Manu, because of, you know, and part of it's like they haven't been settled at seven. Like if I said to you now, what's their future seven for the next five years? Who is it? Well, I know where you're going with this, but for me, it's always been really easy and it's always been Sam Walker. And I still believe it's Sam Walker. So I, I don't think that they know. Yep. I think that they are liking what they see from Sam and Smith. I think there's a potential that that might be the combination next year, you know, depending on whether Luke Keary's contract, whether he plays on or not. Um, you know, there's... 
it's been the first time where we're sort of a bit unsure about some of the combinations for the Roosters. It's been stock standard. They win back-to-back premierships. And I think we forget how much of a toll that actually took on them. Yeah, that's a really good point as well. They've been, they've been up there. They've won two comps. And, and it's easy. Pen, pen, people go, well, what about Penrith? Yeah, yeah, but Penrith are 22 and 23. Yeah. Yeah. The body don't hurt at 22, 23 when you're winning. Yeah, the body hurts at, at 29, 30 when you're winning because you've been playing and prepping for a lot of time. And, and that's why they're trying to change some of this roster over. They get Spencer Lenu next year. Yeah, but they've, they've lost some players, some really important role players that have given stability to their halves and allowed their halves to grow. And, you know, Luke Keery's a fantastic player. He's won three comps. He deserves all the accolades. But, you know, what's he's still trying to find his form a little bit himself. Mm. So that struggles to get Tedesco the ball in certain stages, as you said. You know, what does it look like when Teddy doesn't get the ball? How do you get him involved? So, you know, when Manu plays fullback, and the two of us, Ashek, went to fullback for the Roosters and Mini went to the wing in, in attack. Maybe that's just, maybe they try that. Tedesco defensively at fullback, you know, Manu on the wing or centre and then they swap. Yeah, that's a good point. And Manu's done some wing work before where they've done that sort of thing. I, I just like when Manu, I think last year in particular, they gave him a much bigger roaming role. And I don't know whether this is a coaching or whether it's just how Manu is at the moment this season, but... I think that he can almost be a positionless player that gets to roam around if you have the right structure involved. That's what I'd like to see. But I don't want to bore everyone with the Roosters talk because it's not very positive at the moment for me. I'm feeling pretty downtrodden about it. We've got a couple of uh, key news items this week that we're going to go through very quickly. Uh, The Welsh suspension. Um, Obviously, it was one of the longer judiciary hearings that we've seen. One of the more colourful ones too. So there's a bit of late night entertainment for us on a non-footy night. But... I I think that there's been a lot of things said about it afterwards, but one of the things that sort of come up is the approaching refs, and you know all about this being an ex-player, but also now a coach. <laughs> you know, uh, to me, like I, I've obviously never played NRL or anything, but to me, like as someone who's super competitive, and you know, I only just stopped playing basketball in my forties recently, and I, I played rugby league for a long time. I wouldn't be able to not approach the ref, even just to ask questions and things. So I always thought it's a real, it's kind of overstepping the mark and you can't just go black and white on anyone who approaches the ref that's not the captain, you know, it's it's gone. I think that we can just get back to a point, can't we, where it's just respectful and, you know, you're, you're calling them sir and all that sort of stuff. But everyone knows that the mark and stuff that is set as far as being disrespectful to a ref, surely we can just manage that at NRL level without having this sort of rule now where you, you don't approach the ref ever. I'd probably disagree a little bit on that. I hate the fact as a commentator um, and as a coach when a referee makes a decision, you've got four people go to him. You know, I feel like there's certain people within the men's game that are always in the ref's ear that aren't the captain. Yeah. And yeah. You know, that's just not a good look for, for junior rugby league. Um, in terms of what Reese said, you know, I've been in those situations where you, you say something and the ref looks at you and you go, oh, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to my teammates and we're allowed to talk to my teammates, you know, and you're ultra-competitive and I get that. But in terms of the optics of it, it just didn't look good. I didn't think it looked like he was talking to his teammates. I mean, I, I, honestly, I didn't think it looked like I it. Think it. I think that's suspended in because of his actions, you know, and, and the the it's 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 a tough one because... Fans, we want unlimited access. 
and we never used to have the referee's mic turned on because of the foul language out in the middle because our jobs are on the line every week. So, um, yeah, I think he got suspended basically for approaching the referee like that and talking to the referee. Um, but what made it worse is that they tried to ignore that instead of just saying, hey, look, I got it wrong. I was super competitive. Yeah, I'll take my two weeks. I think the extra week got tacked on because they tried to say that it wasn't and it became such a circus during the week. So um, I don't want... I don't want to drive past and see kids or when you have know, my girls start playing soccer or netball or footy or whatever. I just don't want to see it. Mm. So I, I reckon it was one for the for the parents to say, hey, whether you're Reese Walsh or not, you're going to get suspended. Yeah, and I, look, I, I am never one to say, and I've had this argument before with plenty of people, you know, you can't say to professional sports people, you, you you can't use certain language on the field when you're talking to each other and stuff. You know, like if you want the mics on, have them on. If you don't like it, turn them off. But the referee respect has to be paramount. And I'm, I'm like you, I was also disappointed that it wasn't just, I've done the wrong thing, put my hand up. Hopefully that's a growth opportunity for young Walsh and he sort of moves on from it and grows from it, which I think is what we're all hoping. Uh, look, we're going to go on to listener's corner. This is a question that's... Uh, a little bit more fun, a bit more lighthearted that uh, I grab out from one of the listeners that wants to ask something rugby league related. Music before a game, Jamie, that's come to the forefront a little bit with Origin and stuff and whatever. But, you know, I used to even just, you know, play in amateur games and park footy and stuff. I used to love some some rock or heavy metal music before the game and stuff, you know, get some Grinspoon champion pumping or something. What about you? Did, what about you for music before a game? Yeah or nah? Yeah. So, um, yeah, very much so. I think Wayne Bennett was. Uh, big on like your preps your own time so to be selfish with that and and not everyone preps the same so um yeah me and brett morris i think for the whole this is how old we are but for the whole 2009-10 season used to share the ear plugs and listen to getting jiggy with it by will smith <laughs> you might regret admitted to that one mate. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was like our last song before yeah we used to share that little moment and then it became pursuit of happiness by kid cuddy um i think maybe for 11 but yeah i love music i think that yeah music's gotten me through so many hard times personally and and when you're feeling a little bit off or um, yeah, having music, but it also helped me prepare for the game and allowed me to focus. So a lot of Eminem, a lot of rap, a lot of hip hop. Um, but now as a coach, I'm probably um, <laughs> trying to calm down a little bit rather than be amped up. So it's a lot of fair bit of country and um, I guess mild R&B, not necessarily the heavy two-pack or you know, biggie on the way to the to the game because <laughs> we've got the kids in the car too see so oh they've all got clean versions now so that's all right yeah. well no <laughs> my, my girls yeah i mean i know we just spoke about reese walsh but when i married my wife i just and i tell my players i, I just swear casually so it's not yeah so my kids no <laughs> <laughs> which is not great not great parenting but it is what it is i think my girls are a similar age to you so i feel the struggle don't worry Oh, look, spray of the week. This one you might actually um, disagree with me on a little bit, but uh, look, player contracts and transfer system. I'm just, I think that for me, I'm just going to take 60 seconds here, Jamie, just to get this spray out of the way and I'm going to feel much more vindicated, feel better, get on with my day. But 
I just I am sick to death of this being an issue every single year and the NRL not being able to do anything about it. It is clear as day that there is a problem with the contract system, with the transfer system. And I was frustrated last week when it, it, the NRLs dropped it off the table with the current CBA discussions that, you know, putting in a, a trade window and stuff like that for signings for future seasons and stuff. And I just, I can't see, I can see fixes to this, but I can't see us getting there as a game. And I don't want to use Ben Hunter as an example with your club because he's just one of the many that it's happened with and it's going to happen again and again. It's not good for anyone for people to be leaving contracts or for us not to have specific rules around this that are better to manage it and stuff. And I just can't believe that the NRL is continuously burying their their head in the sand, but also not maybe able to work anything out with the Players Association to be able to get it better either. So it's it's super frustrating for fans. And it would, I really, really think that this is a point where it's been going on for the best part of a decade. Now we've been seeing it every year to a degree we need to get to a point where the NRL and the players come to the table for the betterment of the game. And I think that we're at the breaking point at the moment with it really. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're talking to a bloke that didn't finish a contract. (laughs) (laughs) I think what, like sometimes people forget that. Let's just remove the Ben Hunt situation. I'm not going to get drawn into that. That's it. No, no. no, I don't expect you to either. But I meant like, so throughout my career, so I was signed to the Roosters extension for three years in 2006. Um, Sorry, I signed for two years, yeah, 2007, 2008. Um, But Chris Anderson comes in, coach doesn't want me there, finally gives me a game. But during that time, you know, I wasn't training full-time, so Dragons reached out, they needed a half. We come to a deal, right? Everyone's happy because I'm not a big name then. Um, you know, fast forward to the Dragons. I'm looking at signing an extension. Um, Dragons only offered me one year in 2013 and for less money, and Panthers offered me four. So, Dragons get the shits, let me go for whatever reason. You know, I probably wasn't the best version of myself. I'm not afraid to admit that, but um, so I leave the club. You know, Penrith have decided they're moving in a different direction with a young kid called Nathan Cleary, um, wanted to get me out of the last two years of my deal. So, you know, they decide they're going to drop drop me. I'm not going to play the rest of the year in reserve grade. I decide to leave. So I think sometimes a club, yes, the club has a, a vested interest in being able to make those decisions. But when it's a player, sometimes we probably are confused by it. Um, but every situation is different. I agree that we it's ridiculous that we've brought a multi-billion dollar company and we can't come to an agreeing time. But the other part, and you being an NBA fan would know this, is it's not as easy as the NBA where you trade players and you get salary cap exemptions and mid-level exceptions and all that kind of stuff. Like there's only a certain amount of players in certain positions that are elite. So, you know, when a club says... Um, hey, we're not going to re-sign you. You can go and look when a player wants to move. Sometimes it's not in the best interest of the club at all. So it's a murky water that I try not to pay too much attention to now that I'm not playing. So, <laughs> but as a as a media commentator, you've got to have an opinion on it. And look, it's not perfect by any means. Now, I think that 
we'd all prefer if it was done a clean away, but there's no real answer about what that looks like. Yeah, well, I mean, look, there's a lot of people paid to to manage the game and obviously very credentialed in coming up with these sorts of things and whatever. So I would just think that we'd be able to come up with something better than what we've got. And if we know, if we all know it's not working, regardless of where we are in the spectrum of opinion on it, if we all know something's not working, then there's no point in just not doing anything because it's too hard. We've got to work our way towards something that just looks better than what we've got. And I don't think it's going to be that hard to get to something a bit better than what we've got. Um, you mentioned the NBA and like, you're right. Like the, the, the contract systems and everything are, are far more advanced than what we have, but why can't we work towards something like that? Like, and look, this is me as an NBA fan, which you know well, but for several years, I've been saying, look, we're, we're in a, a position as well. And it kind of feeds into this issue that we've got where we don't really have a lot of rules and stuff around our contracts and things and whatever. And we've seen it happen before where, a team's given a five-year deal to someone that's never played before and it's blown up in their face. Um, there's been some specific examples of that. And the NBA's obviously got rookie, rookie standard deals, um, the amount of years that you can sign for there. We've seen players with 10-year deals before with DC and Tom Malolo, and good luck to them. And that hasn't not worked out for those clubs. But at some point, it will not work out and it will really cripple a club. And it comes back into this whole transfer system, player contract system, where there just isn't enough rules or thought process in place for me. But the, the other part of that is, like, on the player's side, you, mm. you've got to maximise what you can. So, Oh, you're never going to blame a player. Like, if you can get a 25-year deal as a player, you're obviously going to take it. It's not your fault. Yeah. The rules are in place, you know. Yeah. As long as you're working to the rules, you know, well, good luck to you. Yeah. Problem for the game, though, and one that I think that we do need to solve. Look, we're going to finish on a positive. Legend Rewind. Cliffy Lions. I uh, loved growing up watching Cliffy Lions. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested to get your take as a former playmaker in the game, Jamie. But for me, one of the things that I loved about Cliffy is that he played till he was uh, one of the oldest players ever when he actually came back and broke his 300-game spell with the Manly Seagulls, where he's almost 38 years of age. But he was just ageless because he's one of those guys that I remember not being the fastest, not being the strongest, not being a big athlete, but just his brain, his footy IQ in how he could set other players up and throw passes. Even the way he ran, though, with defensive lines, it was just magic. And it's one of the reasons why in his mid-40s he was still running around for park footy teams and still having a smoke on the sideline afterwards and before and stuff. You know, it's just, it's pretty legendary. I don't think that we've seen anyone quite like him. Uh, what were your memories on on the great Cliffy Lions? Yeah, I was, I was very young uh, watching Napa play, um, you know, and and win grand finals and play for Australia and stuff, and getting up to the Kangaroo tours, and that was when life was at its peak. You know, watching those on replays, and he scores the best try ever scored in rugby league um, in the Test match, second Test match, I think, in eighty maybe 92, mm. uh, when Eddinghausen kicks it back on the inside and, and you know, Cliffy's handled the ball four times and scores off a bounce. Um, but, yeah, it's, he, he was one of those guys that had so much time. The only other guy that was probably just as skillful, I reckon, and had so much time was Jason Smith. I think he, you know, came back 05 Canberra and he just looked like he was, I mean, he was on the bungers as well. 
had spoken <laughs> before games and then he just looked like he had so much time. So, uh, but the one thing I liked about Cliffy was his execution and his combinations. And I, I was lucky enough. I mean, again, I was only young and I'd love to have seen him in his prime and, and be at the age I am now. But I went into All-Stars camp, uh, the very first All-Star, All-Stars camp of 2009, uh, Indigenous V World All-Stars or the NRL All-Stars and, you know, Napa was, was there and, I'm a keen Uka player and that mind having a bit of a bet and he I paired up with him and we went to play and he, he's got certain rules around when you play that your cash has got to be on the table. So <laughs> there'd be many a time where we had to wait for the boys to run up to their room and get the cash. And that's when cash obviously was circulating. Now everyone has their phones. So um but he's just such a legend to be around and you know, I was in awe of of him being involved and even talking to me and yeah, you know, another time at State Cup. He's such a skillful touch player, but played for Australia in touch. Yeah, they're about to tap off for the final. Um, he's playing for Manly, and I just yelled out, "Hey, Unc, how you going?" And he just he runs over with the ball and um, says, "Hey, Nef, nephew, how you going? What's happening?" Blah, blah, blah. And I said, "Oh no, we lost. We're on our way home." And he goes, "All right." And he's just sitting there talking. He goes, "What else have you been up to?" And anyway, the siren goes for the game to start, and he's got the ball in his hands, and he. He just sort of, like, everyone just waited. There wasn't like, come on, start. It was just, you just knew that the, everyone was there to wait and, and just he has that respect within the game. So um, his combination with Steve Menzies and Tuvi and the way that he'd run that drop play, you know, he's, he's just a work of art. So, yeah, really lucky to be able to say he's a friend. And I've only ever wanted another team's jersey once since I've been an adult. And that was the 2017 Indigenous jersey for Manly. They had Cliffy Lyons' name of uh, face in the front. And I thought, I- I'm not one of those people. I mean, I'm all Celtics. I don't own another basketball jersey. Yeah, and, and rugby league jerseys, I only hang my own. But I just wanted that one for Cliffy and I wanted him to sign it, but I wasn't able to get one. So um, that's probably one thing that I'd like to try and get hold of, but he's such a good, good guy. Awesome. That's a couple of great stories there from you. Um, I, I, you mentioned the the Beaver combination. Steve Menzies is one of my favourite players growing up. Being a back row myself, I just loved it. And Steve Menzies had a uh, has the biggest strike rate in NRL history. Scored over fifty percent of his games as a back rower in the NRL, and a lot of that was credit to Cliffy. That combination I rate as the number one combination of all time. Cliffy Lyons to Menzies for tries. It was just it was death taxes, cliff lines to Menzies for a try. That that's how it was. And for anyone that's a bit too young to remember or to have watched it, go and look at some cliff lines video of his passing and his playmaking. And like Jamie said, how much time that he had. Uh, one of the things to wrap up on Cliffy though, he played three hundred nine games for Manly. But one of the things that people forget is he actually debuted with the North Sydney Bears and he came in as a lock which is quite surprising, and then ended up um, playing in the halves. But the bigger thing probably, which is a bit of a travesty really, Jamie, he came through at a time where there was a lot of good halves um, and he was, um, you know, came in in the Australian squad, but it was a time where Wally Lewis was there as well and other players that were great to the game in the halves. And he only managed to play six games for Australia and six games for the Blues. Certainly in a lot of other eras, he would have played a lot more. It was just one of those things where there were so many good halves at the time, wasn't there? Yeah, that's right. And, and, that's why I brought up the 94, might have been 94 or 92, but that kangaroo tour, he actually starts at six. And, yeah, that was when it was Wally and Laurie Daly and 
you know, the whole crew. So, um, so many good players and halves were around. Um, I think there's Alfie there as well. And, yeah, that, Stuart that, was coming through earlier as well. Yeah, that was, I think that's the game. Might be the game where Sticky throws the intercept and then Mal scores on the buzzer, maybe. Um, but oh, man, that's vintage peak rugby league for me. That's childhood shit. Uh, um, <laughs> the 4 a.m. kickoffs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. just like kids today. You know, they'll never understand how good that rugby league era was. And yeah, watching that back. And I, I'm lucky enough to work with David Thirsty Morrow on 2GB. Mm. And he, he called that try, the Cliffy try. On uh, well, it used to be on Channel Ten then with Graham Hughes, but he actually can word for word, or play for play, recite that play because it's the greatest rugby league try ever. And I asked him; they they said don't ask him to do it because he gets the shits. But like <laughs> I just like I've listened today, and I'm I'm calling with him on Saturday night. Actually, it's the first game of fifty years at the Gabba oh. uh, for two GB. I get the chance. I've worked with Ray Hadley. I worked with. Yeah, commentators, yeah, Andrew Voss, yeah, Warren Smith, yeah, uh, Joel Kane, all these guys. And, um, yeah, now I get a chance to work with David Thurston tomorrow, who I have before, but it's a pretty big honor for me. And I asked him to do it, and he, he goes, Young man, I'll do it once, but only because I'm a Dragons fan. <laughs> oh, there you and, go. And he did it. And I was just, man, I just was in a time machine. And he's like, looking at me, and you know, he's like, why do you get a kick out of that? I said, that was the greatest try ever scored. Like, go back and watch it. Yeah. I think Cliffy starts it off. He passes the Belcher and then they go to the left-hand side. They come all the way back. Shearer bumps off one, passes back to Cliffy, and they're just running around. And then it's just no set plays, just rugby league at its best. No, there's there's no price that you can put on nostalgia and memories like that as well. That's uh, that's one of the things. That's why you always get a kick out of that stuff. I do as well. And it's, back then as well, one of the big things was I mentioned like the four a.m. kickoffs and stuff. It was it was hard. Like it wasn't easy access like it is now. Like now you can watch any game anywhere, anytime. You can watch it on your phone. You know, it's it's just so much easier. Whereas back then you had to work for it, right? You had to try and work for it to be able to, to actually watch these sort of games. Yeah, if you miss the start of the game. Or you had to go to the toilet while there was an ad break on, or like it was done. I think it was the Just Jeans '94 tour, or '1992 maybe. But um, yeah, anyway, great memories. Well, I finish off on Cliffy in the podcast. A couple of his accolades. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't realise how many awards he's actually got. Clive Churchill Medal in '87. Went to three straight grand finals with Manly, and one of them he won twenty to eight against the Dragons as well. Dallium 5-8 of the year, 1990-94. Dallium Player of the Year, 1990-94. Rugby League uh, Player of the Year, 1994. And in the Hall of Fame, inducted in 2018. His accolades suggest he should have played a lot more rep games. It's a shame that he came through in the era that he did in a lot of ways. But I will always remember his combination with Steve Menzies, especially, and how much time he had with the ball in his hands. He was an absolute magician. Great to reminisce about Cliffy and some of those kangaroo tours. Jamie, thanks very much for jumping on the podcast. It was fantastic to have you again to talk NRLW ahead of the uh, kickoff coming up soon. Thanks, mate. Appreciate your time. And, yeah, if you're, uh, I'm sort of sick of hearing everyone say how happy they are about the NRLW, you know, get out and support a game. Go to a, you know, get your daughters involved. It's such a huge um, opportunity that we have now to, to make our, our sport the, the most supported sport in the, in the country right now. 
Awesome. Well, well done, mate. And my girls will definitely be watching it this year. Uh, if you want to tune in the podcast, you can jump on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Amazon. We are everywhere. Follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And also jump on picklebet.com. Use the affiliate code All Stars, all one word, so you can sign up today and they'll know that you're one of our listeners and take great care of you. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We've got a Super Coach episode recorded Tuesday with Billy, another talking footy episode hitting before next round kicks off. Until then, enjoy the round of footy. Can't wait to talk all about it again next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.